Welcome to episode 8 of Recommendies, the podcast about media and entertainment where I recommend some of my favorite movies, books, TV shows, video games, and music to you, the listener. These are just kind of things that I personally really like and, you know, my tastes aren't going to line up exactly with yours, but hopefully there's some overlap uh, between the two things and maybe we'll find that in this podcast. Um, as you might know, if you've listened before, it's broken up into three different segments. We have visiting the wiki, where we'll go on the Wikipedia page of the thing we're talking about and just sort of get some more information on, you know, what it is we're actually discussing. We'll learn about the creators of the thing, some background, um, the different characters, if there are characters, just things like that. Uh, we'll get that all from the Wikipedia page. Next, we're going to look at the critical and the audience reception of that thing, just sort of see how it did, both from a critic standpoint and then an audience standpoint, just to see, you know, what maybe more academic minds thought of it and then what sort of the general public thought of it. Lastly, I'm going to give my own thoughts on the matter and sort of just say why I maybe wanted to talk about this thing for this episode and just why I would recommend it in general. That being said, let's get into today's topic, The Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code is a 2003 mystery thriller novel written by Dan Brown. It's actually the second novel in his series that follows the character of Robert Langdon. The Da Vinci Code follows Langdon, who's a Harvard professor of symbology, and Sophie Nouveau, who's a French cryptologist. Uh, it follows them after murder in the Louvre Museum, involves them in a battle between ancient religious fraternities, the Priori of Sion, Sion, I don't think it's Sion, like the car, um, and Opus Dei, who are kind of in this battle over the possibility of Jesus Christ and Mary Magdalene having had a child together. The book in hardcover mode, <laughs> I don't think, that, hardcover edition is about 689 pages and in paperback it's about 489 pages. I think that's just like the size of the text is probably the biggest difference. Yeah, we have another book episode and it's very exciting, but before we get into visiting the wiki, I just want to say the drink of the episode, I have some cinnamon apple spice tea, which of course we've added a little bit of honey to. It's really good. It's kind of a colder day today, so yeah, just nice little fall vibes, I guess. Anyways, with that being said, let's visit the wiki. Mm. Alright, so now we're going to visit the wiki. I think I've said that like four times in the last 30 seconds, but if you already have forgotten, we just go to the Wikipedia page, get all the information from Wikipedia, because I love Wikipedia, and also it's way easier to just get all my info from one source, and it's, you know, a lot less time-consuming. Before we get into the Da Vinci Code itself, I think it's a good idea to talk about Dan Brown, the author, of course, of the book. So Dan Brown is an American author best known for his Robert Langdon series, is I guess kind of the unofficial title. There's not really an official title for it. Uh, but this series includes Angels and Demons, The Da Vinci Code, of course, The Lost Symbol, Inferno, and Origin. Each of these books often deal with like some kind of treasure hunt. What's a common theme in them is they also usually take place just over the course of 24 hours. There's not these huge time skips or anything like that. 
Uh, they're also engaged a lot with sort of religion and kind of historical fiction, and this has generated a fair bit of controversy. Dan Brown actually had an interest in puzzles uh, kind of from a young age, and his parents used to kind of use these puzzles to tie together mathematics, which I think his dad taught, and then music, which I think his mom taught. So it's just kind of like it's a more fun way to kind of get their kids to learn about these things. Uh, for one Christmas, when Dan Brown was a kid, him and his siblings had to follow a treasure map with clues and different codes throughout their house and also throughout their entire hometown to eventually find their gifts. So it's not a huge surprise that Dan Brown writes these books that deal a lot with like secret codes and these puzzles and not really like treasure maps like like pirates, but you know, just these sort of fun little intellectual puzzles. Uh, it's definitely things that, you know, you can see the groundwork was laid pretty early for him. Before he became a writer, Dan Brown actually pursued a career in music, and he released an album called Angels and Demons, which is, of course, the name of the first book in this series. Uh, in 1993, when I think he was about 29 years old, he began to work on his first book, which is called Digital Fortress. He didn't get a lot of traction until he wrote The Da Vinci Code. Like, he wrote Angels and Demons in 2000, and these first novels didn't have a ton of success. I mean, they each sold under 10,000 copies in, like, kind of their first edition printings, but The Da Vinci Code became a New York Times bestseller within a week of its release and has sold 81 million copies worldwide as of 2009, which was the most recent statistic, which is not very recent at all. Um, but, you know, in six years, it sold 81 million copies. That's definitely nothing to sneeze at. So now we're going to go and talk about Robert Langdon, the main character of The Da Vinci Code and the main character of all these books. So Robert Langdon is a professor of symbology at Harvard. He is definitely sort of like the dashing, like, dilfy, <laughs> globetrotting professor stereotype. I've noticed Dan Brown always makes a big point to emphasize, like, how in shape Robert Langdon is, which is weird. Like, there, there's lines in his book where he's just like, oh, he could still fit into the suit he wore when he was in college. Or, is like, uh, uh, he swam his usual 30 laps in the pool, which he did every morning since he was in his 20s. And it's like, okay, thanks for letting us know. Like, if he did it once, it'd be like, yeah, okay. But I swear he does it in, like, every single book. And, like, I... I guess it wouldn't be as cool if there was a part in the book where it was like, oh, as he was running, the arthritis in his left knee flared up. Like, and then it would be like, oh, okay, this isn't quite as fun. Um, but yeah, I don't, he really sort of makes a point to be like, yeah, this guy, this guy's cool and handsome and smart, which, sure, I mean, whatever. It's a book. It's fictional. I, I feel like Robert Langdon is sort of like Indiana Jones but he doesn't, like, fight people or shoot people. He just lectures at them <laughs> and is smart. Not that Indiana Jones is very smart, but is uh, more intellectual. I don't know if that's a better way to say that. I don't know. Anyways, so Dan Brown has kind of said that Robert Langdon is, like, an idealization of himself, like who he wants to be, which is, you know, cool. Um, and he was named after John Langdon, who's a professor of typography at Drexel University. And John Langdon actually created the logo, or kind of the 
image that's on the cover of Angels and Demons of the first book of the series. So that's pretty cool. And I didn't know that he was really named after someone who I guess Dan Brown kind of knew. So I talked a little bit about the plot, but I'm going to get more into that. And it's hard to talk specifically about the plot of the Da Vinci Code without mentioning all the other books because they kind of all follow a really similar plot. So it's laid out sort of like this. At the beginning of the book, some guy dies and he had some sort of connection to Robert Langdon. This then causes Langdon to have to travel somewhere from, you know, he's based in like Cambridge, Massachusetts. He has to travel somewhere across the world. Usually it's Europe and he has to try to help sort of solve the murder. When he gets there, Robert Langdon meets some sort of like female acquaintance who's all pretty and fun, but she's smart and like grew up with four brothers or whatever. And then she usually had some connection to the victim. The murder somehow ties back to either ancient or medieval or like early modern history. And then there's some symbol or cryptic puzzle involved. And it's kind of just an excuse, I feel like, to read about cool places in Europe. And I don't know, I find when I read it, I find myself, you know, they'll go to someplace and I'll like pull up the, I'll Google that thing immediately just to see what it looks like or like see where they are. And I don't know, I think that's kind of fun. The Da Vinci Code in particular, it takes them initially to Paris and it has a lot of ties to Leonardo Da Vinci, mainly like his artwork. Um, I think this is probably pretty clear because the name of the book is, of course, The Da Vinci Code. Then in this book, they go to London and then eventually Scotland. There's kind of a lot of twists and turns right off the bat, and I don't want to give it all away because it is fun. I feel like I've been like dumping on the book a little bit. Um, it's just really, it's fun, man. It's just a fun book to read, and there's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. These books uh, were also kind of made into movies. So The Da Vinci Code was made into a movie in 2006. It stars Tom Hanks as Robert Langdon, and it was directed by Ron Howard. It received mostly negative reviews, but despite this, they made two other movies. They had Angels and Demons, which came out in 2009, and Inferno came out in 2016. Both of those star Tom Hanks and are also directed by Ron Howard. There's also a TV series, which is about The Lost Symbol, I think is the third book, and that premiered on Peacock in September of 2021. In this one, Langdon is played by Ashley Zuckerman, and it's like a younger take on the character. I think he's he's in like his, you know, late 20s or 30s, and then Tom Hanks, not like an old guy, of course, but he's, you know, in his like 40s or 50s or whatever. What's kind of interesting about the movies is they have The Da Vinci Code as the first one in the series, and then Angels and Demons the second, uh, and that's, you know, reversed when it comes to the books, but honestly it doesn't make that much of a difference. I mean, there's not like this huge exposition. I guess Robert Langdon doesn't really evolve much as a character. <laughs> he just kind of is how he is in all of the books. So I don't know, once you've read one, you've kind of read them all. There's not these big sort of uh, references to the previous books as well. So honestly, you can really sort of jump right in anywhere and, and you won't be lost. I think I read the Da Vinci Code before I read Angels and Demons and it wasn't really lost on me at all. I still thought it was a lot of fun. So now we're going to go to kind of the critical and the audience reception. And man, if you thought I was, you know, pooping on this book a little bit, boy, oh boy, did the critics have a field day. So it's been criticized a lot for its historical inaccuracies. 
A New York Times writer, Laura Miller, said the novel was based on a notorious hoax, rank nonsense, and bogus. And that's definitely fair. Like, I feel like you can't argue when you dispute history because history is, like, it's there, it's recorded, um, or, you know, most of it is. So, and that's definitely true. The priori of Sion in the book, it's presented as this sort of ancient religious fraternity, but it's really based on just some guy in the 50s who, like, made up a thing, and it was a big hoax. So the book doesn't hold a lot of, you know, historical factuality to it, but eh, I don't know. It's whatever. It's also come under fire from those in religious power for its implications about Jesus and Mary Magdalene. I think that's fair. You feel like Mary is Jesus's mom, and then to think they had a kid together, allegedly, in this book is, you know, pretty weird. Um, I think what doesn't help these criticisms is that Dan Brown kind of claims that a lot of the stuff he talks about in the book is, like, fact, even though it's pretty easily disputed by various other people. And I, if he didn't do this, I really don't think he would come under nearly as much fire as he has. But, I don't know, maybe he's just really stubborn or something. Yeah, I think at the beginning of the book, it says something like, the priori of Sion is a real organization, and like 99% of this book is true, or something like that. Or maybe just he said that second one. But yeah, from a historical standpoint, probably don't want to cite this one as like, well, it said so in the Da Vinci Code, so it must be true. Like that's, you know, not uh, not going to hold much weight. It's also been criticized from a literary perspective. There's been a number of different voices and authors and people just kind of respected in the literary circle that have not had very nice things to say about the Da Vinci Code. I have a couple quotes here. So Salman Rushdie, who is, you know, a pretty famous author, said, Do not start me on the Da Vinci Code, a novel so bad that it gives bad novels a bad name. Uh, Stephen Fry, who's a British uh, actor and also author, generally regarded as a pretty smart guy. He said the Da Vinci Code is complete stool water. Stephen King, of course, legendary author. Who doesn't love Stephen King? I love Stephen King. Um, but he said that the Da Vinci Code is the intellectual equivalent of Kraft macaroni and cheese. And then notable critic Roger Ebert, who I knew mostly from his film criticisms, but, you know, it makes sense that he would do book criticisms as well. He has a quote that says, I should read a potboiler like the Da Vinci Code every once in a while just to remind myself that life is too short to read books like the Da Vinci Code. I honestly don't think these criticisms would be as much a thing had the book not been as popular as it was. It was insanely popular. I mean, 81 million copies in six years or whatever. You know, that's pretty good, man. That's pretty good. Maybe, I think a lot of these, they, they seem a little bitter. They seem pretty pretentious, but I guess it's hard not to. I mean, Stephen King's been writing books for 50 years probably, and you're not going to say, oh, the guy doesn't know what he's talking about when it comes to books. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's kind of interesting. It's also kind of funny as well. They take it really seriously, and it's like, guys, it's the Da Vinci Code. It's not like the Bible. I don't know. It's <laughs> It's really interesting. Looking at the audience perspective, it's quite a bit different. It was the second best-selling book of 2003, which was only behind Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. That's pretty crazy, I thought. 
Uh, I went on the site Goodreads, which is sort of, it's like, um, you know, if you have Letterbox for movies, it's like that, but for books, you can log the different books you've read and rate them out of five stars and you know, write reviews. So the Da Vinci Code on Goodreads has an average of 3.9 out of five stars, and this is based on 2,228,516 different ratings. I thought it was, it was cool because you can see how the reviews are kind of broken down by the number of stars. So 35% of those reviews are five stars, 34% are four stars, 19% are three stars, 6% are two stars, and 3% are one stars. Obviously, the audience and the user, I don't know if user is the right word, the general public's reaction to these is quite a bit more positive. And yeah, I think people just weren't really looking at it with as critical of a lens and just maybe weren't taking it as seriously. And I think that's fair. I don't think it's really meant to be taken super duper seriously. So now I'm going to give sort of my own thoughts on the Da Vinci Code. I've sort of done that a little bit. I always, I feel like with every podcast, I'm like, oh, now I'm going to give my thoughts as if I haven't been doing that for the last 18 minutes or whatever. So the Da Vinci Code, it's not the greatest book ever written. And I know that, but that's, I don't really care. It's still fun. It's just a fun time. I do think Dan Brown is like a smart guy, but I feel like he thinks he's smarter than he is. You, it, you kind of like that quote he said about he sort of sees himself in Robert Langdon. It was like, okay, dude, um, you made this guy like a mega genius. And you're like, well, I think I see a little bit of myself in him. It's like, ah, okay, well, maybe this guy's a little, a little egotistical, but that's fine. He's enjoyed a lot of success. It would be it's not, not surprising. I feel like reading this book and reading all the books, it kind of, you feel really smart when you're reading them because you feel like you're learning a lot but then you look and realize that a lot of the stuff you're reading is like completely made up and has not really any factual uh, anything backing it I don't know it's still fun I'm not you know like I said you're not citing this as as, as fact it's just purely for fun these books remind me of like the National Treasure movies, right? You don't, you don't watch National Treasure and learn about history and go talk to your friends and your coworkers and your family about saying, well, hey, did you know actually this happened because National Treasure said so? Like, no, you don't say that because you know it's just entertainment and it's just fun. I think the Da Vinci Code in these books are really seen, or I see them at least, in kind of like that exact same sense. There's a lot of criticism on this book, and I think a lot of it's really valid. But like I said earlier, I think people can just get really pretentious, and maybe they're jealous because the book enjoyed so much success. That's fair. I think it's easy to be pretentious when you're talking about art and to sort of be a contrarian and say, oh, this thing is so popular. So since the general public likes it, I see myself as as m more informed or more intelligent than the general public so that means it must be bad because so many people are eating it up you could say this about like every marvel movie and it's like yeah people who watch these they know they're the best movies of all time but they're just fun man well i don't know i haven't seen a marvel movie in a while but i think that's just fatigue they put out a lot of movies and that's that's a lot to watch every year 
but maybe I'll get to them. They're still fun, though. The ones I have seen, Shang-Chi, that movie's awesome. That movie's a lot of fun. I think everyone who saw it that I talked to really liked it, but we're also not being like, ah, oh, this is the new Citizen Kane or whatever. I've never seen Citizen Kane, though, to be fair. Well, I watched it when I was, like, 12, and I don't think that was the right age to watch it at because I just thought it was really boring. But I lost my train of thought, um, but we'll get back to what I was saying. I think The Da Vinci Code is a good book to read if you're just trying to read more. You know, there's a, I've heard a lot of people say that you know, I'm trying to read more, or I've been trying to read, but, you know, I can't find a book that is interesting. And, I mean, that's hard because there are so many books out there. And I don't want to say that The Da Vinci Code is like the beacon of light. It's like this one, you'll read this one and you'll love it, because that's probably not true for a lot of people. But I think it's just easy. It's like a popcorn movie. It's fun and it's easy to digest. It's easy to read. And it's, like, interesting enough, and I don't know if intelligent is the right word, but it has just, it has cool stuff. I don't know, I like history a lot as well, so it definitely kind of speaks to me more, um, maybe in that sense. I don't know. Not that it speaks to me, but <laughs> it interests me more in that sense. I think a lot of the times I've found myself reading or trying to read books that are heralded as like these all-time great works of literature or they're it's like oh that this is a classic book and I'm just not liking it you know like I know what I'm reading is objectively well written and just it's good I know it's a good book but I just can't really find much enjoyment out of it. I read Jane Eyre in high school and I thought that was incredibly boring. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> I can't, this is losing my train of thought a lot in this one, but that's okay. Um, you know, I think you can recognize that books and things, and this can go with movies, this can go with music, this can go with TV shows. You know, you can recognize that these things are well-made and you can see the reasons they're highly regarded. But think if I think if you're not personally enjoying them, you don't have to force yourself to finish it. And you can just say, like, I know this thing was good, but it just wasn't for me. I think probably a lot of people do that really easily, but I've sort of found myself sometimes not doing that and just thinking, like, oh, man, I, I, I got to figure out how to understand this thing because it must be so good. And sometimes you can do that. Sometimes it's a lot of fun, but... At the end of the day, I mean, just, you know, it's art, it's entertainment. It's not, the stakes are not very high. Just kind of consume what you like and what makes you happy. The Da Vinci Code and these books, they're something I like. They, reading them makes me happy, even if Dan Brown is pretentious and even if the critics all took a big fat poo-poo on this. I still thought it was a lot of fun, and I thought the book was really entertaining. I think it doesn't need to be any more than that, and I think a lot of the times, media doesn't need to be more than that. It's just a nice little escape into a fictional world. It's fun. It's sort of, you learn a little bit, but not really, and it's just a good time. If you feel so inclined, if you're looking to read more, 
I recommend, you know, picking up the Da Vinci Code at your local library. Um, or you can probably find like a PDF online or something. It's, it's been around for a while. Um, yeah, it's a good book. It's a good book. It's fun. And I never know how to end these. <laughs> I just want to keep talking. But anyways, if you want to read more, you know, check out The Da Vinci Code or any of these books, uh, just at your local library. They're super easy, quick reads. And yeah, I mean, reading doesn't have to be hard. doesn't have to be intimidating. It can just be fun. And I think this book definitely symbolizes that. So yeah, if you've made it this far, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. This one didn't go exactly where I thought it would, but I had a lot of fun uh, doing these is always so much fun researching and recording and editing and, and, and everything is, is really, really one of my favorite things to do. So if you have made it um, to the end, Thank you, and I will see you guys in the next episode. This is Adam Peters, signing off. Salutations. Salutations.